How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to Nebraska Hawks Nest. We're joined here today by former Iowa Hawkeye basketball great Andre Woolridge. Andre, how's it going, man? It's going good. Can't complain. Good. How you doing? Uh, tell us a little bit about right now what you have uh, going on right now in your life. Sounds like there's a lot of cool things uh, going on with, uh, I believe it's the all-world balling uh, training that you have going on. Can you tell us all about that? Yes, All World Ball Academy out here in Sacramento, California. And uh, we're training kids, teaching kids how to uh, play basketball and also deal deal with life, uh, rigorous basketball training and uh, helping them be mentally tough. So what brought you out to Sacramento, California? Uh, interesting. Um, my good friend Terrence Badgett was living out here and I was playing in France at the time. And... Um, so he was like, oh, you got to come out and visit me. So I came out here, fell in love with the weather, and uh, I never, never went back. You don't miss those sub-zero temperatures that we just finally crawled out of? No, you just had, they just dumped on you, um, what, a couple weeks in a row, right? Yeah, it was bad. Saw, it was awful. I saw six below. Uh, it was crazy. I, I, I wake up in the 70. I, I don't want to deal with that snow anymore. No, I don't blame you. It was like 20 below for a while. Um, and then uh, we had mass power outages through the whole, like through Iowa and Nebraska because it got so cold. So um, wanted to I always talk to uh, when our guests like to start from the beginning and a little bit about uh, your recruitment process coming out of high school. What schools were really hot on you? Um, which ones were you strongly considering? And then what made, made you eventually decide to go with the Huskers? Uh, honestly, I kind of had my choice of what school I wanted to go to. I, I finished as one of the top point guards in the nation, number two in the nation. So I was really thinking about Kentucky. Um, my whole life I wanted to go to Syracuse. Um, but then, you know, uh, Nebraska was on the rise, and my friends went there, Terrence Badger, Jerron Boone, Eric Strickland. We had a top five recruiting class that year. So uh, it kind of swayed, and, you know, I wanted to go play with my friends. We all played different positions. So I went to Nebraska first, and then it didn't work, so I ended up in Iowa. But what's interesting is Iowa was my first letter from a college. I'll never forget it. I was I was a ninth grader and they started recruiting me first. And that always stuck with me. All right. So what uh, how did that really go down with you uh, ending up transferring to Iowa? What what led to that decision? Well, it was interesting because I. I had built a relationship with uh, Coach Walker, who was at Iowa at the time. And when I chose Nebraska, he said, you know, when they do you wrong, we'll still take you. And that and that was in my head. And and so, you know, we got to Nebraska, just not enough basketballs. And uh, I, I thought it was best for me to leave. Okay. Did um, – tell us a little bit about, too, once you got to Iowa um, – how playing for Dr. Tom Davis, one of the greatest basketball coaches in Iowa basketball history. What was your relationship like with him? We had a good relationship. I mean, of course, he he was tough on me. He wanted to, me to be a great point guard. So it was a lot of uh, mental testing and then learning their system. But it just it just felt better basketball wise. My first day there, you know, Nebraska was really known as a football school. My first day there, I just felt like basketball. It felt good. Um the fans are great. It, it was a good fit for me from day one. It was a good fit for us too. <laughs> we loved having you. It was, it was awesome. Um, I wanted to go back to um, your rivalry in high school. 
um, you're at Benson with Eric Strickland. Uh, you guys would go back and forth. Uh, I believe you guys are still a number one, number two in um, high school scoring there. Uh, tell us a little bit about your friendship slash rivalry with, with him. Well, uh, well, the first game that we played, we both started varsity as freshmen, but I ended up catching the chicken pox. So we didn't play against each other uh, when we were supposed to the first game. It was, it was tough because, you know, when you catch the chicken pox older, it's a little rough on you. And then we had that rivalry all through high school and just going back and forth. You know, he's getting 30. I'm getting 32 or he'll get 38. I have 36. And, you know, everybody built up the rivalry, but we would go play with or against each other, pick up games and, you know, games outside. So we built a friendship. It was a rivalry on the court, but we ended up being cool. And then, um, you know, when we both signed with Nebraska, I really wanted to put an end into that. And, uh, you know, not have a rival. What for? We're teammates now. or We're going to be teammates next year. Yeah. All right. Um, what Was there any sort of pushback or backlash from you know, either your friends and people in the Omaha community when you decided to transfer to Iowa? Uh, a lot of people supported me. But, yeah, of course, there was pushback. I, honestly, I got um, hate mail in my locker mm -hmm. at Iowa. My my The year I was red shirt and I had to sit out, I got – three or four hate letters and telling me how I'm going to fail and I suck. And, uh, you know, you were scared of Nebraska and you know all that type of nonsense. Jeez. Yeah. Well, you, you looked real scared out there on the court for the Hawkeyes <laughs> shredding people up. So it, it didn't look too intimidated to any of us. No. Um, one of your most famous games. Uh, and I think you probably know um, in the NCAA tournament against Kentucky. Um, I believe that was in 98. They ended up being the eventual runner up. I don't know that many Hawkeye fans can ever remember a game where a player pretty much threw the team on his back and you really uh, made that game. Rick Pitino called that game a pressure cooker and he said it almost gave him a heart condition because you were just unstoppable in that game. Uh, can you walk us through a little bit of what that atmosphere was like? to take a blue blood like Kentucky all the way down to the, you know, why are you guys didn't get beat by very much? I think you ended up losing by five or six points. It was a pretty close game. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was pandemonium. I mean, about 30,000 people in the stands. Um, they were known, they were, you know, Kentucky always had the reputation and they had their press going. Um, but I, I was ready to go. I was the only senior on my team. Uh, I dribbled through that press. I had one turnover when they would, caused teams to have 15 and we had one turnover on their press. I would dribble through it and I just put my team on my back. I was, I was ready to play. I was focused that day. Um, you know, we, we fought to the end. Uh, and like I said, I was the only senior. I, um, definitely when, when I was coming up through high school, I, very unsuccessfully tried to emulate some of your your moves up the court. Um, I always called up my poor man's Andre Woolridge. You always used to do this move where you would bring the ball in like this and go back out with it, and it was just like, yeah. I don't know, it was so damn smooth every single time, and it worked every single time. You just had a knack to get to the basket so frequently. Um, can you tell us about growing up in Omaha and, you know, going to Benson and that that community and that environment? How did that shape you as a basketball player? Uh, growing up in Omaha, you know, it's it's a tough town. Um, a lot of a lot of talent there. Um, I played every single day. Uh, that was my life. Every single day, three or four different courts. We would start at Fontenelle. 
uh, once, as soon as we got out of school and then, you know, ride our bikes to Horseman or there, there was a school by my house on 28th Street. So I would play ball every single day. And I, I just loved it. That's where I wanted to be. That was my sanctuary. Um, you know, and the people saw me putting in that work. I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. It was just for the love of the game. I wanted to get better. A lot of guys I looked up to. Uh, and so I was just trying to steal pieces of their game and add it to mine. And, and I was I really wanted to be the best. How how connected are you right now to the Iowa basketball program? Do you ever make it back to Iowa City for games or anything like that? Last time I was back, uh, they put me in the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't make it back much, and it's difficult being on the West Coast to follow. So I have to really do my research and find out games. But social media, you know, helps me out a lot. I just saw one of the guys uh, set the assist record and move me to to third all time in assists. So, and then you know, of course, Luca's great, and um, you know, I, I try to stay tuned in and talk to people but it's difficult because on the west coast they're showing west coast college teams mm -hmm. well i mean you're third in all-time assists but you only played three seasons so just yeah. think where we'd be with one more season uh, you know i, I don't talk want, about that i don't want to blow my horn you know i i they have four years i had three but it is what it is records are meant to be broken yeah no that's uh uh, that's a tough record to be broken. And you held that for, for quite a while. And then Jeff held it for quite a while as well. So I didn't think that either one of those would ever be broken. So, um, it, but it, you know, you got to be happy that those kind of records just eventually fall, and, you know, no matter what you can do, especially when you only get three years and you have the assist record. So that's pretty cool saying that. Well, it's, it's interesting to look back. Um, Wanted to ask you what your feelings were with Bobby Jackson, losing the big 10 player of the year to him. Um, you still got beef with him for that because Minnesota got everything stripped from him that year for sanctions. So technically we're listed as big 10 champions that year. Andre should have probably been big 10 player of the year. I'm thinking, what were your thoughts on when that happened? Did you feel like you, you kind of got the raw end of that deal? Yeah, I believe so. Um, what's funny is Bobby and I are good friends out here. He still lives out here and we used to you know work out against each other. But if I'm the only person to lead the big sis, excuse me, the big 10, in scoring and assists in the same season, it should automatically yes. be mine. And then to come to find out years later that those guys were uneligible and they cheated and they got everything stripped from them. Um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, nothing against Bobby, nothing against, you know, but we did it the right way. And, uh, you know, yeah, I believe I should have been Big Ten player of the year, but stuff mm -hmm. happens. It does. You know, Bobby Jacks was a hell of a player and had a, you know, a pretty solid pro career, too. And, but there wasn't any player in the country that was as well-rounded as you. Like you said, the only t I think the only player in Big Ten history to lead the league in assists and points. I mean, I, I got to know, this might be hard to answer, but how in the hell did you manage that? Like, that is unheard of for a guy you know you that if you're in a situation like that you got the ball in your hands almost every play and that right there is i've never heard of anybody you know get that'd be like leading the league in blocks and steals like that's very difficult to do tell us you know how you went about doing that well like i said just settles was hurt so i was the only senior and uh we had to put points on the board but you know, I had to get my guys involved and, uh, you know, I, I did well with assists my sophomore and junior year, but I really just stepped up my scoring and you, know, you got to lead the team and you got to try to get wins even with young guys. You know, 
everybody's out there playing. It doesn't matter what year you are. Let's let's go win. But I, I wanted to be the the leader and really, you know, put the team on my back every night. Uh, during your time at Iowa, and you know, Jess Settles comes to mind. Jess was, you know, we always used to joke around. It's like we felt like he was at Iowa for about fourteen years. He just, <laughs> was, you know, was able to string that out. And he's a he's a big fan favorite too. Fans really loved him. Who was the toughest player when you're at the University of Iowa, like in practice and in the weight room that you went against? You're like, man, this guy is a beast. Oh, Chris Kingsbury. I mean, Jess Jess was a beast. Chris Kingsbury was tough, and he was shooting where Steph Curry was shooting at back then. Yeah. And making uh, he's pulling up from the circle in college against Michigan on ABC. And and he's just, you know, six three, solid, strong, tough. He'll elbow you if he has to. If you got a twisted ankle, he's gonna kick it. You know, the other team, you got a twisted ankle, he's gonna exploit that. I I, I love Chris. You know what I mean? Tell us a little bit about your relationship with him, because we always heard as he was at when he was at Iowa that he was a pretty interesting guy and a pretty fun character to be around. Well, yeah, I mean, he and I, we got along well because, you know, we stood up to each other. There's, you know, you have to get a hierarchy and, and get situated on who's who and what's what. And I'm not backing down from Chris and he's not backing down. So, OK, we in this together. We both tough guys. Uh, so now let's go win. Well, you got that's, you know, the alpha mentality right there. You know, you're the point guard, you know, right. you're running the show. Typically, the point guard is going to be telling people, but that's interesting. We've been trying to get Chris on the show. He lives out here in Nebraska. So, we've I been trying to get him. Yeah. yeah, he's a, a super interesting guy. And man, I remember him coming down the court and you'd kick the ball to him right past the half court line and he'd just pull up like it was a regular jumper. And I was like, like, it was a regular jumper. I was like, who is this guy? And. <laughs> You know, and we needed each other. He needed me to get him the ball. I wanted the assist. He wanted the three-pointer. Let's go win, man. Yeah, you said it perfectly. He was pulling up for those Steph Curry half-court half three-pointers before Steph Curry was probably out of middle school. Right, in 94, 95. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he he was a hell of a player, too, so that was pretty yeah. awesome. You you really had a lengthy pro career overseas. Uh, I was blown away with such a well-rounded player as you were. Did you ever get um, any sort of chance to play in the NBA or were you just, did you go just straight overseas right away? No, I actually, um, I played well in the summer, the NBA summer league in Utah and uh, Denver brought me out months in advance, a couple months in advance. Uh, they really liked me. So I was living in Denver right off the, the summer the summer league in Utah, they put me up in the, and took care of me for a couple months. So I was there uh, three or four months. I went to vet camp and it just didn't work out. I tried out, you know, I had a, a bunch of tryouts, uh, but, you know, it comes to a point where do you take the overseas money or do you keep going after your dream? And uh, playing overseas 13 years was definitely a blessing. That overseas money is nothing to scoff at. That's some, that's some decent dough coming your way. To play basketball, you know what I mean? Leaving college, you're broke in college, you got a Stafford loan and a Pell Grant, and to go make some real money, yeah, it's, it's definitely a blessing. It's good. It's good over there. Well, you played in uh, you know, in Israel and in some other countries. Uh, tell us about what it was like. Um, some of your memories that you had playing overseas, was it difficult to – to adjust to the culture, to the food, to the people, or, yeah. or was that something that was pretty easy? I played in Turkey, Greece, uh, France, Italy, 
Germany. Um, you know, after your first year, you kind of get used to it. You just got to learn the lay of the land. But basketball is a, a universal language. So, you know, even some some of those teams had translators. And so you, you're in practice with a translator. But, you know, you're there for basketball. That's all I wanted to do. So, you know, you learn. You go find restaurants. You go find stuff to do. Um, I'm an only child. So I was always getting out, exploring and doing stuff on my own. I, I have no problem doing things alone, you know. That's what I do. I'm a loner. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Out of all the countries that you lived in, was there one that was your favorite that you ever considered taking up a permanent residence in after you were done playing? Or did, were you like, hey, I'm going back to the States when I'm done with my basketball career? Well, you you miss your family. Uh, you're gone for 10 months at a time. So it's tough. But, you know, I, I could see myself living in France or living in Italy. I was I was in Udine in uh, Italy, and it's like 45 minutes from Venice. So I would drive down there and be, uh, you know, on the water and shopping and different things. So I really liked Italy. I really liked France. Okay. All right. Um, any, anything else interesting, too, um, uh, about that career over there? I believe you were the Premier League assist leader uh, playing overseas. I, I thought I read that. Um, any sort of, like, really big accolades when you played over there that you're like, you know, that you hang your hat on. Yeah. I mean, I, I led, I led France in assists and I you know, averaged about 18, 19 points. And that's when they first started that, uh, what is it called? The evaluation where they add up everything, uh, your minutes, your points, your production and everything. So, and I also led France with that. My coach actually invented that system, uh, in France. And so that was good. We went to the championship twice. Uh, but we end up losing to Michael Pietris and his brother and Boris Diaw, who were getting drafted to the NBA the next year. So it's kind of like they're not going to let you beat those guys if they're going to the NBA. Uh, and so they got a few more calls and different things. They were playing uh, in pole. And so I went to the championship twice. I got second twice. Uh, that was great. But just, you know, traveling to different countries, doing what I love, um, learning different cultures. Like I say, it's just a blessing to have basketball take you all over the world. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty, pretty darn cool. Um, what did it get your thoughts on this year's Iowa basketball team? Um, definitely one of the more promising Iowa basketball teams than we've had in quite a while. What's your, um, with you being in coaching and instructional uh, things for basketball right now, tell us about what you feel like the ceiling is for this team and maybe some things that you feel like their strengths and their weaknesses. Like I say, it's, it's really hard for me to watch games. So I really would get information about Luca and different things on Instagram, or they would just post the wins. I follow them on Instagram. Uh, I think they can surprise a lot of people. I think uh, he's the type of guy that's going to step up and, and, and defeat and, and surprise people. Uh, besides that, I don't know much about it. Because, like I say, it's so hard to tune in. And then I'm running a business out here, so it's, it's real difficult. But I see they're doing well, and, of course, I want them to win. Yeah. Uh, do you have um, – right now, have you, have you had any kids? Are, are you married? You know, what's the personal life like now? Because you still look like you're freaking 25 years old and <laughs> look like you could you know suit up in an Iowa basketball uniform right now. I don't think you've really changed a whole lot. No, no, I'm, I'm close to the same. I have I have two boys, and uh, one is playing at Sacramento State. All right. uh, but he, unfortunately, uh, he got hurt, so he's sitting out this year. And then I have a four-year-old 
Uh, Rick Barrels III is at Sacramento State, and then my son Atlas is four. Atlas, that's an awesome name. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Well, hey, Andre, Bill. wanted yeah. to tell you thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. All all the Hawkeye fans, we always, when we talk about the great players that played at Iowa, Andre Woolridge is always one of the names that comes up. And, you know, I'm sure fans are going to be really excited to see what, you know, that you're, what you're up to and that you're happy and healthy and, you know, that life's going well for you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we always end it with a go Hawks. Go Hawks. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, Andre. Thank you.